in most cases, when people, when you ask them what they think security awareness is, it's usually phishing simulations, and maybe sometimes it's the annual training or you know some kind of training. Yeah, it's usually boring training and the IT teams try to catch me. Those are the two things. So. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest of the Challenge Accepted podcasts um, from us here at Arctic Wolf. My name is Ian McShane, I'm a VP of MDR and delighted as always to be joined by Adam. Hey Adam, what's going on? Yeah, Adam Murray here, CISO of Arctic Wolf, great to be here. It's October, which means it is Cyber Security Awareness Month, my favorite month of the year and judging by the comments on LinkedIn and social media of your choice, either the favorite or least favorite time of year for security practitioners too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited about today because we're going to talk about something that's uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, phishing, security awareness, all of that. I think it's really timely during Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yeah, right. And um, delighted again to be joined by a friend of the show, Jason Haynick, one of our colleagues here at Arctic Wolf. Um, he heads up the service delivery and strategy for security awareness and training. Oh, yeah. So really excited to get into it today. Um and Jason, thanks again for for coming back. As as we get started to talk today, do you want to just uh, give us a quick, updated introduction to yourself, current position, what you're doing, and and uh, we're really excited you're here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jason Hainick, currently VP of Strategy for the Managed Awareness Product, and longtime security awareness practitioner by trade, and a former founder myself uh, with Habituate. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, and we're really lucky to have you here. So. Today, as as we were discussing the topic for today, and of course, we we're talking about security awareness. It's as we mentioned earlier, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. This is the time of year to talk about security awareness, um, and of course, that's something you know deeply about, Jason. A topic that was brought up was phishing simulations, and I see a lot of hot takes out there. I've seen a lot of analysis going in all kinds of directions. Uh, I, of course have my own opinions as I know Ian does too <laughs> but why don't we uh why don't we start out with just talking to us about uh your thoughts on fishing simulations and you know kind of get us started there and we can just jump into it uh yeah so the fishing topic like as you said Adam it's it's a hot topic constantly I think that there's a lot of contention I think we're at a phase um of maturity in the industry where we're kind of like hey, is this kind of like good? Like, should we be doing these things in the way that we're doing it? And I've seen a series of threads and conversations happening on different, you know, posts, some of my own, some that I'm responding to. And I'm seeing a really interesting concern coming up from the practitioners um, that, that I would look at and say, oh yeah, they've, they're doing the work. They've been doing the work for many years. They, they get it. And they're kind of raising this concern of our are phishing simulations doing good or doing bad, right? If you want to say it as simply as that, where I'm a huge believer in a security awareness program should work to build a positive culture of security at a company. And I think the fastest way that you can get there is through trust. It's also the fastest way you can absolutely destroy your program is through losing that trust. And, you know, there's examples out there. I think uh, like GoDaddy was in the news last year recently for just um a phishing simulation gone bad as a good example of one that really just broke the trust of the employees and kind of started, I think, raising these questions. And 
I just find it fascinating. I think we're at a point now where we're trying to maybe inject a lot of like empathy at the beginning of our actions and our, our processes here with security awareness. And like, what, what are the actual um, outcomes of these, not just getting, you know, click rates and response rates, but like, are we doing damage to our, the trust within our company? You know, the security teams are the very first interface um, that most employees get with like a, with the cybersecurity concept. It's the training that you get, it's the phishing simulations. And so um, someone had brought up and was like, you know, should these programs be run by folks who aren't trained with proper educational backgrounds on human behavior and and human resources and the impact of those things. And I just found it um, wildly fascinating. And so I just wanted to pitch that out here to everyone to, to kind of talk through. Yeah, I always find it fascinating that phishing simulations are the example of a stick being used to encourage behavior change rather than a carrot being used to, to you know, try and influence change. Yeah, and that's just by choice. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, Jason, I was wondering if you could Sort of, sort of level set for the, this conversation. I would love to hear one, maybe even just describing that particular GoDaddy situation, or or another scenario of like what's a, a an example of a of a you know a phishing simulation program that's you know guaranteed to deliver negative results, so bad. And then what what would you think a good or a solid or a effective phishing program would look like that? that could bring good results. I'm just curious. I want to level set with those two and yeah. we can continue discussing. Yeah. Uh, happy to, to talk through that. I think that, you know, there's really approach, right? Like is the purpose of the phishing program to trick or to train, right? Like that's kind of where I fall. Like if you're trying to trick your employees, you're probably not going to get a lot of positive, positive results from that. If you're trying to train them through it, then you can use the same kind of tactics and the same kind of templates um, in this example with GoDaddy, and I'm, and I'm just pulling from memory here, I think they had sent um, a phishing template that was um, sending to the employees saying you're getting a $650 or $700, whatever it was, Christmas bonus to click here to redeem it. And, you know, it's a hard time of year. People are struggling and um, it was received poorly. People had uh, posted about it, I think, on like uh, Twitter when it was still Twitter and um it just kind of blew up into the conversation. And I think it started a lot of this. So that to me would be an example of, yeah, I mean, like if you are intentionally tricking your employees with an idea or a concept that's going to be emotional, it's going to um, affect their personal lives in some way or their mental well-being. like why? Why? I think that you can do that and get the same message across using safer tactics, right? And I think it's all about creating a safe, you know, the, the concept of the safe space at work or safe training environments where it's like, you can learn the same types of outcomes mm -hmm. without feeling that broken trust, right? Cause you still have to come back into work every single day. Right. And you, and you want your, you don't want your employees to be mad every time they come in. And I think that's yeah. the state that we're in right now is like people are kind of unhappy with fishing simulations. Yeah. I, me I remember that one from last year. And I remember at the time thinking it was, is disgraceful an okay word to use. I think it was really like not well thought through. But on the other hand, from a security practitioner, if you know what, thinking like an adversary, that's the kind of tactics I would use to get them to click on something. So this is this is one of the issues I have with a lot of phishing simulations is it's not about whether or not you handed the credentials over or actually took that step that endangered the company. It's that you clicked on an email or you clicked on a link. And I think I mentioned this before last time we, we had this kind of discussion a, a year ago or so, that 
links were invented to be clicked. Like there's, they're not being abused, they're not being misused. Hyperlinks were invented to be clicked, to be a shortcut to take you to information. And we're trying to train users not to click on something based on their assessment of the current threat situational awareness, right? So that being said, like if if that is a legitimate tactic that an adversary would use, how would how would how do you do it better? Like I'm not saying that they were right to do it. I'm just saying that's a really good way to try and engage clicks. And if it, you know if their program had gone to the next step and it, it accepted um, credentials, then they found people that are risky behavior. So I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate and say it sounds like something that is a real world scenario or could be. So what should have been done differently? It's it's a great talking point, right? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I often fall back to the statement or the the whatever. Just because we can, should we, right? And I think when your entire purpose of a program is to build a culture of security, a culture of trust, a positive culture in any way, um, should we do that, right? And you probably could do it if you're going to make it completely obvious that it's a false one, right? To the point that maybe people are just like, oh my gosh, and they're laughing at it, right? Um, but to like go to depths and, and efforts to deceive and trick, knowing that it's going to work regardless, right? Um, that's the thing. Phishing simulations are always going to work, right? Our goal isn't to trick. It's to help people think differently. And Adam, I think you say that sometimes, like, when you go when you get into your inbox, you want you want people to kind of just be like, okay, I'm 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 in a, a maybe a not a risky kind of space right now, or and just kind of have that like mentality, like, hmm, I can't I can't really trust everything. So you know, Ian, I don't know how I would have done it differently. I don't know that I would have done it right. Um, yeah. You could do trainings on it. You can show examples of someone else having it done, right? Right yeah. now we are using GoDaddy as the example to not do it, right? That's a learning moment mm -hmm. for all practitioners right now. Yeah, so, I just feel like that's a, a flaw in phishing simulations is the good ones are done from a place where you shouldn't do it in the first place. So what value can you derive from phishing simulations? Yeah. I, I think uh, I think in that particular case, I think it was the cruelty uh, involved which is raising expectations of employees that they're going to get some sort of bonus during a hard time and then you know making it a trick i mm -hmm. think you can have just as effective of tests um that that still might be controversial but that don't do that that don't you know like in other words if your company was having you know say you were changing hr systems and you know that as an it professional and then you send out a phishing thing that kind of takes advantage of that knowledge that's around the company that would be one that would be really tricky but it's not like raising expectations of a bonus or something so it doesn't have that level of cruelty i think is a is a difference there but you brought something up jason that's and this is kind of goes to your dev, devil's advocate point ian and that is when i've had conversations with employees or people just people in general not people who work here that work elsewhere and talk about fishing simulations i do frequently ha hear people who are upset angry or or just don't trust the security team and typically when i have those conversations it boils down to they don't want to be bothered in their inbox they don't want to have the stress of having to be in their email inbox and always be on the lookout for getting tricked by their team that's going to catch them the, the problem i have with that is that's exact the 
one of the exact behaviors we're trying to train. Then not necessarily, I don't want them to be stressed out and overly stressed out about it, but yes, we are trying to inculcate in them a sense of concern that anyone could come trick them. And certainly people who don't have any ethics about fake bonuses or anything are going to come in their inbox. So when your friendly neighborhood security team does it, yeah, it's, it's annoying. It can feel like you don't trust these guys, but what's really in there currently can be some really bad stuff. So yes, I understand that they're, uh, that they're frustrated and angry, but like, how else are you communicating that to them? And when I ask them, it seems like the very thing they're upset about is the very thing that you're trying to create is a sense of this isn't a safe place and I need to be really careful in here. Yeah. Yeah. These things aren't easy. So I think something you mentioned, Jason, about, you know, building that culture of security, what, how do you measure for that? Like, what are some good indicators? One thing I noticed, I will say, after we started taking the the phishing simulation seriously here, is that I would notice in Slack channels when people have noticed there's a phishing simulation email and will like point out to their colleagues, hey, there's a phishing simulation email, don't click it. Which is great, in my opinion. I, I, see, I saw yeah. some people going, well, you're ruining the spirit of the, the simulation. We don't know who's clicked on it. I'm like, that's not the point, dudes. Like, we're talking about the phishing simulation and people were thinking about what they're clicking. Yeah, there's uh, so there's two points there. Um, Adam, you had mentioned like how how do you how do you address that to a user who's frustrated with it? And I, I always come back to well, how is the program being communicated to the employees? Right? Is it super transparent, being like, hey, we are gonna try and trick you. You're not gonna be in trouble, but we're gonna do some stuff. And like, if you can can consistently like bring that conversation up and keep it around, people don't respond as negatively because they're like, oh, right. Yeah, this is part of the thing. And then to your point, Ian, that is a great measure. And it's hard to measure unless you're tracking how many comments are on Slack or whatever. And I think that's where as an industry, we're going to always kind of struggle to prove efficacy. Um, but like, you know it, people talk about it. When a, when a great video goes out, people talk about it or you'll get emails. Slack is great. And you bring up another interesting uh, topic that is convert, you know, uh, controversial sometimes is, well, we don't want people talking about the simulations. And it's like, but that's what you're training them to do is to talk about a risk. Yeah. Right. Yep, Who yep. cares? Drop the click rate. No one cares about the click rate, right? That's not what you're going after. You're going after that culture of people talking about it and sharing it. And, you know, I, the biggest compliment I got at Habitué was when somebody watched one of our videos and they were like, can I share this with my friends and family? How can I share it? And I started putting stuff on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, people should have access to this, right? Like you, that's the response you want, like people to engage with it. Yeah, absolutely. I figure people who don't want people to talk, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? That's part of the immune system of the company. You want the immune system to work. And so you want this cross chatter and you want to see what people are saying about it and how they're, how they're communicating, hey, this is a phishing simulation. But Jason, I really like your point. I do think it's all about both before you do a phishing simulation and after, or as you say, as you frame the phishing simulation for the company and then after. So say we're, you know, yeah, we're trying to trick you, but we're on your side. We're trying to prepare you. We're trying to make this something that to give you the tools that you need to safely navigate email and text and all these things. And then after, if you do personal training with these folks, you know, or if you send them videos, none of that is sort of this wagging your figure, shame on you, how dumb are you? None, none of that. It's all just like, hey, let me point out the things that could have helped you here. And also, uh, one thing I don't think we think about enough when I've seen the retraining is 
do you ask the person, what, what was your mindset when you're doing this? Were you in a hurry? Were you just trying to like go through your e-box, but so email inbox? So trying to help them see where they were at when they do. It. I think that's really positive is that if they see it as trying to help them build the skills instead of just shame on you, you should never do this in a sort of a scared straight program. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement on, um, I always call them like the education component of that, like what happens after the click. And um, I, I believe that you can you can provide as much information as you want in training, but the learning has happened the moment that that screen pops up. They've realized, oh, I've clicked on something, right? And there's all kinds of uh, behavioral studies that show like in that moment when you're shocked by something, your brain starts to intake information at a high rate and you have like 10 or 15 seconds for people to process whatever is going in, right? Whatever you're giving to them. So if you're giving them a three minute video, or if you're giving them something that they have to click into and, and click multiple times to get through, you've lost them at that point. And something that I did, I think rather effectively when I was at, uh, well, I won't say the company, uh, a large entertainment company was I, I created the education page so that you could read it in 15 seconds. And it was just, this was a, this was just a training. You're not in trouble. Respond this way, right? Like report to this or hit the button. And that was it. And people really love that. And, and I think that's what I mean. Like you can do those really hard things. Those really like potentially evil things. Right. But if you do it and you announce it literally the day before and you say, we are going to fish everyone this week with something really evil. Right. We don't, we're not going to tell you when to come, but it's coming the next couple of days people still are going to forget and they're still going to look at it and they're going to have that response be like, Oh, right. And then it's fun. Right. Then it's, it's like camaraderie at that point. And so I just, I think it all comes down to how we manage and having the right skill set. I think this goes back to the original point that I was bringing up from the, from the threads I was saying was like, are, how are we managing it? Right. How are, how are the people that are running it um, communicating it and and are they qualified to understand the impact of what they're choosing to do and stuff like that yeah i th- i think the reason the reason this is hard for many organizations aside from the fact that you know it's enabled the vendor landscape enables it you know to be done in a more nefarious way than we would probably want but it's easy to measure clicks and so you can track a trend with like and let's for a second suspend reality and pretend that those click numbers are, are real and useful but you can start to monitor a trends and so when when the budget holder or your boss or whoever whoever's you've had to convince to spend the money in the first place comes to you and say and it's, you need to articulate the value if you've got a metric and a trend it's easy to do if we're doing things nicely and we're saying don't worry about it it's say you know we're building a culture and they say well okay but how do i measure that in a powerpoint like <laughs> what do we do <laughs> yeah it's hard um i i often uh i've had a very similar experience where there was um, building an awareness program at a company as, as an employee, you know, when I was working there, starting my own company, coming into other companies and helping people is a lot of times there's just a, you need awareness for the awareness program. Right. And so that is talking to the IT support team and giving them ideas and understanding like how they should be responding, talking to leadership and asking for approval to do them, finding out who holds the budget and getting them to understand that, like, well, how do I send the R, you know, put the ROI on this? And it's like, it's a little hard. And that's what we struggled with for many years. I think we're getting closer to being able to have a, a more solid story for budgeting. You know, every every breach that happens is, you know, we don't really need to justify it these days. But I, I, I see your point. I I stumped the expert. <laughs> All right. So, how about we, we sh- 
Well, just a, just a, one more question, Ian, on that, and that is, so we're talking about ROI, we're talking about training and employees, employees' perceptions, feelings, things like that, all important. I always start thinking about the actual attacks, and are you actually preparing your employees to defend against them? Because those of us who've actually done a lot of incident response, we know when you show up, you're going to find a phishing email nine times out of 10 that was involved in the incident. And you're going to talk to, and I'll, t- I'll tell you people who never get upset at phishing tests are people who've been fished before and had a negative consequence. They're mm-hmm. always uh, like, yeah, yeah we yep. should always do phishing tests. That's terrifying. Yep. So I, I have a family member that was out of business. They clicked on a real phishing email. Now, four other employees at the company did too, and it's actually one of the other employees that the attack came from and the breach was successful. But my relative also was the also clicked on it and realized that they had done this. And they are like forever now, like phishing tests are awesome. We should do everything. Everyone should do this just because of that fear that was in their belly for a number of days until like all mm-hmm. the reports on the incident came out. So for people who've like really lived this, really gone through a breach, they understand how important it is. <laughs> like, how do we how do we get that kind of mindset? And everyone else who is probably, you know, to some levels of, you know, just sort of nonchalant about this and like, oh, it's overblown. And why are they always bugging me in my inbox? Let me just do my job. I'm just trying to sell widgets or whatever. I mean, the answer is right there, right? Until they've, re- until they've experienced that breach, you know, I went into Sony Pictures a couple months after they had theirs to help build the program. And like, everybody was just like, do everything whatever you want. We've got, you know, all this stuff. Let's do all the, like, how crazy can you get with like all the program? And it was really fun. I did a lot of fun things, but you know, then you go to other companies and they're like, well, you know, I don't want to be bothered and all this stuff. And it's just, it's like insurance and stuff like that. It's like, you don't, you don't get the, the big coverage until you've experienced it and you've had the impact. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That does. It's a really challenging question. And uh, one that's fun to, to work on as we all know, because, those of us that like security awareness, but Ian, yeah. you had something you were going to ask. Well, I was just going to say, if things if things in the phishing simulation landscape don't necessarily translate well to good security outcomes all the time, what are the other things that organisations can think about? Like, obviously, there's the video kind of um, phishing training, or not phishing training, security awareness training. More than more often than not, it tends to be outdated stuff that's done once a year and takes you know ninety minutes to two hours of enforced no window jumping no skipping forwards like again punishment training more than anything yeah adam do you want to put any uh comment in on um your viewpoint as a CISO on what you've seen yeah things that are effective yeah uh absolutely so i really really like ongoing training because one of the things you're trying to do is have security be at least somewhere top of mind of the employees at all times so it just becomes something that they do i think a lot of like factories how factories manufacturing facilities do this with safety right there's safety stuff everywhere you're wearing safety equipment all the time and no one questions that they need to be safe and some of it's annoying but everybody gets it right and I think we need to get to where security is the same thing. So it's top of mind, something people just think about. Um, obviously, at a security company like Arctic Wolf, 
it's easier to have that. But a lot of companies, it's really difficult to get security to be up there. It's something people think about, you know. And so I really like things, training programs that have frequent training and frequent reminders. And there's lots of different examples of this. So newsletters, things that appear on the screens around the office, you know, what what we do with our Arctic Wolf product where you have training that just comes automatically in our managed awareness product, like every two weeks is the way we have it set up where people are just getting this training all the time. Also, you know, studies have shown, and you know way more about this than I do, Jason, but that also people retain the information more if they're reminded of it frequently. Yeah. I think that's also just sort of logically true for people. So that's one thing that I think is effective and that I like is when you're trying to create that culture of security, keeping things top of mind. So that's one thing that I think I've seen that's really effective. One one thing for me from the consumer of that, the side of the consumer, like watching those things every couple of weeks, the the things that have stuck to me are the way that there are characters that persist through those different things. I can remember their names, like Rudy, for example, is one of the ones on <laughs> ours. And I know exactly he's talking about like working like remotely and all the things that you can do to protect yourself. Like there was just things that have done so well that like latch me onto it. It's almost like a TV show where I can remember the, the storylines going through it over a number of seasons. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you, I think you both hit on key key components in my mind is if you're going to do content, it needs to be pretty consistent, you know, at least monthly. There's the ebbing house curve, the, you know, the forgetting curve and all that stuff. And then uh, there's the content, there, the content portion, which like, I think the industry is inundated with content creators right now uh, for security awareness. And again, it comes into that question of me of like, yeah, but what's the quality of it? Because if we're used to watching really great high production on our phones on Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff. Like, and if you're not coming to me with that same quality of writing and production, like, of course it's not going to work. Right. Um, and so like, that's, I don't want to keep boasting, you know, how great we are, but like we've got a production team that produces content almost 24 seven, right. Like business hours, like just constantly running. And that's great. It's always fresh and you can always, um, you, like you never have to worry about like having to reuse content, which is always, uh, you know, an issue for a lot of companies. Um, and then for me, things that I have seen as a practitioner is trying to get out from behind that administrative task of managing the phishing simulations. Cause that can be time consuming. I, I used to spend 30 hours a month on a campaign, um, at Disney and Sony, right? Like managing it the whole time. Like that's one quarter of my month. Imagine like Imagine that in hours of of salary, like how much time you're investing into a product additionally. Um, and the same thing with content, like you still have to spend time going through it. But once you can get out of that, you can do more fun things. I, I would do live events. People loved live events. And Adam, I don't know if you ever did this, but um, we would always have like a F- local FBI agent come in and tell stories from like the local chapter. And they're always free, always supportive of it. Um, even hosting our own, like I would call them cybersecurity 101 sessions where like a department can like request like a training. I would just go and talk for an hour, just kind of like, like this about personal safety, personal, you know, how to stay safe online how to protect your family. Like, again, those are all activities that help feed and, and plant seeds in that culture of security. That's positive and stuff like that. Um, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a time where everybody would do, what were they called? Like the fairs, like the vendor fair would come in and all the vendors would come in and give away like free tchotchkes. And 
like I, I look back at it now and I laugh. I'm like, what a like what a silly thing for us to assume people wanted, right? But they love like social currency, things that they can't have access to, like an FBI's in uh, you know, inside stories of of things that they've worked on, stuff like that. So uh, I'm a big fan of those things when you can do it, when you have the ability to get out from behind the desk and do it, you know, is those are the, the next components. Ambassador programs are fun and things like that. So yeah, I did I did those FBI presentations on both sides, right? Like I had I brought people in and I also back when I was in, I I provided those. And I really do think the ones that are effective, because also, you know, you bring an FBI agent in, you you, you don't don't know what you're gonna get as far as the presentation. I think the effective ones are what you just said, Jason, are storytelling. Because I think stories, obviously, you know, we're humans stories are built into our DNA. And I think those stories really, really help people. Um, and when it's something real and it's from the real world, I think it really helps people to, uh, to engage and understand like, Oh, this is a, this is a big deal. And it's someone outside your organization. Right. So there's also that credibility coming from, you know, another organization. I think all of those things really help underscore the program and make it effective. I want to go back if I can to a question you were um, bringing up, Adam, which is like, how do we keep it top of mind for employees? And something I saw on LinkedIn that I think I'm a fan of, but I don't know. And I want to talk through it here with everybody is I, I asked the question. I was like, we're, at, we're, we're asking our coworkers and our family members and our employees to do all of this cyber work right like oh the human firewall hate it hate that that terminology or whatever like we're not software we can't be patched but like we're basically asking us to do a lot of additional workload you know but yet there's nothing i haven't seen many companies that actually ascribe that into like job responsibilities right and is that something that we need to consider taking the conversation to from the hr and legal standpoint is because, you know, um, contractors have a lot of those requirements in, in, into their their contracts of like, you have to take the training, you have to do these things, you're expected to do this stuff. Like, do we have to start adding in like responsibility, you know, sub bullets for job descriptions that says also, you know, help to build culture of security or like participate in trainings? Because then that's in my point or my devil's advocate is like, that's really the only way that we can kind of hold people responsible and to keep it top of mind is to say, well, this is part of your job description. And is that a different approach? And is it negative or positive? I'm just like, oh, that's a, that's a rat's nest there too. But like, there's potential, I think. How different is that to the acceptable use policies though, that come in when you read, when you on your first day, it's like, here's what you can do with your laptop and here's what you can't do. And do you remember what it says? No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So like policy highlights and policy, you know, I think that's a, that's a great component too, but like, it's a start. At least we can go back and people can say, all right, like this is, you know, this should be top of mind because we've all accepted this as part of our job descriptions mm-hmm. that we're all participating in this. Right. Um, Cause then people want to take it back to, well, if you take it back to like department level and under performance, then you can start doing like budgeting for that and inflict like, you know, not on the employees, but like on the managers, like maybe you don't get as much budget for something if you're, you know, if you're not taking it seriously. And the, the only thing I would say that this reminds me of having that kind of addition to a job description reminds me of like the EULAs you click when you install software. Like, have you ever read a EULA from top to bottom? Are you just going to go to your next job and go, yeah, I've seen that before. Click next, whatever. So I, I, I do think 
I, I don't necessarily think it would be negative, maybe, but I do think most organizations, certainly mature ones, already have you know, AUP or other ways to hold people accountable for not doing security things, you know, and people know they can get fired for that. Um, what I would like to see if we're going to do that, if we're going to actually add bullet points in someone's job description of maintaining security is that they would be rewarded for it. In other words, does this come into their regular employee performance reviews and you say, hey, you know, you haven't, I look at the report, you haven't clicked on a phishing link in, you know, six months and you participate in the security ambassador or the security champions program. And I liked your post in the security Slack channel, whatever, like, would that be rewarded by a manager? I think is where it would actually start having meaning because I think the punitive side is already something Mm -hmm. that people know about. Yeah. We could write it in there. Sure. Yeah, and make it more explicit, but I don't think people necessarily need more stick there. I think they need more carrot. But that's just more my, carrot. Just my reaction to what you're saying, Jason. No, I love that, and and I think that's kind of where I think, you know, you you say ambassador programs like that's how they're effective, right? Is having a message come from someone trustworthy that they know, an executive assistant, an administrator, or something like that. Like having, I, I'm a firm believer that people just want to be recognized for their efforts, right? And I don't see many programs that actually work towards that. I think we tried some with like the, um, the badging and the gamification. I think for me, that's failed miserably. I, but I think people love like an email from their manager saying, hey, great job completing that. Or you, you reported a phishing email that was we didn't know about. That's great. And like, I think those I think that there's avenues there that can be explored to really be beneficial. And in that same thought, like. Yeah, maybe we have department budgets for you know positive security behavior, or spot bonuses, or something like that. Um, and it's literally just use it or lose it, right? Like, and if they don't have it, then you know, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not the payroll person or the finance person, but I think there's ways that you can start bringing it locally and, and empower people to you know to participate and earn things in a fun way. I, I do think we need to build up toward that. Um, going back to the question of what makes a, a program successful? I, I think one of the biggest things is top level, all the way up to CEO level buy-in to security in general and security awareness program specifically so that that person becomes an example to the rest of the company. And they can do so many things to keep it top of mind, but directly related to this, if you got an attaboy from you know senior executives or they're asking about it regularly in performance or when they talk about someone getting promoted, mm-hmm. they highlight some of the security things they did. I think that kind of thing would go a long way to making security and actually part of the culture because people say, oh, if I do security things, then I get rewarded for it and it helps my career. Otherwise, it's always going to be seen as a cost rather than you know a benefit. Well, and you opened up a, a next layer there for at least when you said it, like, it doesn't necessarily have to just be, you know, a sub bullet and a job, de- a job description or, or a role of responsibilities, but it can be, and it can also escalate through leadership, right? Where like those expectations are also for senior executives and, and for people managers and stuff like that. And, and maybe there's, you know, I'm just trying to expand like an ambassador type program thought into like, how can we at least, you know, attempt this? It probably won't work. It'll probably fail because again, it comes down to, um, management and expectations and skill sets on on how to do this stuff, right? I think that's what got us 
to where we are right now in the first place. Well, and there's there's also just a collective, and this is way beyond the scope of this conversation, but there's a collective just universal denial of reality when it comes to how you know dangerous or risky things are online. People just don't want to accept that the online world is not a safe place and that there're constantly people out trying to trick you whether it's through fraud or through phishing or vishing or all this. And it just it it stupefies me sometimes when I talk to people and they just act like well, it shouldn't be this way. And I agree with them. I 100% agree with them. It should not be this way, but it is. But it is. So, so sorry. <laughs> we. This is the w- world we all live in. You're, you yeah. can be fished in your home email box, your work email box all the time. Anyone in the world can guess your email address. Guess what? They can come trick you. Nothing you can do about that. Yeah. yeah. I guess one, one last thing before we wrap up here. And uncharacteristically, I'm going to try and put a positive spin on things. Like, I know we've been talking doom and gloom a little bit here about how you know things are, are used for nef- in nefarious ways, but honestly, I think security awareness in at the upper levels of business has improved exponentially in the past 10, 15 years. Like where, to your point, Adam, from the CEO down, they are embracing things like security awareness, or at least the bones of a security awareness training. Is that is that what you see, Adam, as well? Like you're comparing when you were in the FBI to today, and, and what about you, Jason? Uh, for me, I do think it has improved somewhat. Uh, I think it really depends on the organization, but I think I would say there are more organizations who are engaged in this, engaged on it, more senior executives that are taking it seriously. Many of them have been through breaches, so they are. So yes, I think it. I I think it has improved. Um, so trying to stay glass half full, yes. There's obviously a half empty side of that too, but I'll leave that for now. Yeah. And about you, Jason, like you must have seen some pretty incredible behavioral changes at your times at the other companies you worked at. Yeah. I mean, I will say glass half full. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely an uptick in acceptance and, and visibility. And I think it's because of all the bad things that we're seeing in the news or you know, CISOs are a tight-knit network sometimes and, you know, you have friends that experienced it or you can just start imagining yourself having to deal with it. Like uh, the budgets start to begin to open up a little bit, you know, then there's the compliance requirements. And if you have a well-educated, you know, board of directors that, you know, is worried about this stuff, it's all helping slowly. Um, I still think we have tons and tons of uh, space to make up and uh, until we can move away from practitioners with just a toolkit, practitioners who understand how the the programs should work and run like you know it's going to take some time yet perfect well thanks jason for being a a friend of the show and coming back again would you like to plug anything or would you like is there a way folks can get a hold of you on linkedin you mentioned it a couple of times today yeah i love uh i love connecting on linkedin it's just jason hainick uh i think i'm uh confidently titled myself the security awareness provocateur or something like that so just look for (laughs) my um, idiot face and connect with me there. <laughs> well, perfect. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Yeah, I think, thanks a lot. And Adam, thanks as well. And everyone, be sure to like and you know maybe subscribe if you enjoyed this um, this episode and share it with your friends if you want to. Yeah, it's always fun. This is a fun topic. Uh, really enjoyed your time spent with us, Jason. And yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah.